the thing that helped me get to where I'm at today, I know it doesn't sound very masculine, but it's self-love. And now I use self-love as the motivating factor to do hard things because- How he navigated the practical, the mental, and the emotional side of his journey of gaining and losing 75 pounds on purpose. Welcome to the Best You Podcast, where we teach you the healthy habits you need to look and feel like your best you. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. Drew Manning is the owner and creator of Fit to Fat to Fit. Back in 2011, Drew decided that because he had never been out of shape before and because he didn't feel like he could relate to a lot of his clients, that he would try an insane experiment. He decided to gain 75 pounds on purpose and then attempt to lose it all. Then he tried it again a decade later. And today you're gonna to learn about how that experiment went, what he learned from the mental and emotional side of weight gain and weight loss, and what he learned from a nutrition and fitness perspective. For now, it's time to get closer and closer to your best you with Drew Manning. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast today. I am super excited to be joined by the one and only Drew Manning. Uh, Drew, I've been looking forward to having you on the show for a couple weeks now since since I saw that you had uh, booked a day and time with me, man. And there's going to be so much valuable content that people get out of today. I want to basically start with some of your fit to fat to fit journey, both kind of 1.0 and 2.0. Some of the mental and emotional things that you've learned both with yourself and when coaching others, um, some more like practical recommendations when it comes to uh, fitness and nutrition and stuff. And so that's kind of the way I want to go about today. So the first thing is to give everybody just a little bit of background. I've, I've already done that a little bit in the intro, but you get you gained and lost 75 pounds on purpose in six months with your first fit to fat to fit journey. The way I want to start is tell everybody what you did or what you had to do to gain the weight during those six months? <laughs> yeah, so um, getting the weight was really, really hard to be honest with you because my ho whole life, my identity was Drew the fit guy, right? I had a six pack, I had muscles, I was kind of in the, uh, I became a personal trainer. I've always been into health and fitness. <clears throat> and so to become overweight uh, was a huge identity crisis to be totally honest with you. I kind of freaked out. But to gain the weight, uh, the strategy there was to stop exercising completely. And then to eat, uh, you know, a pretty much uh, unrestricted diet uh, that consisted of the typical American foods that are highly processed junk foods uh, that are cheap and affordable, very convenient. And I'll be totally honest with you, they freaking taste amazing. And so I did that for six months, ate that type of food because we all have seen Super Size Me and Morgan Spurlock where he gained weight eating McDonald's. I think most of us know fast food is unhealthy for us. The foods that I ate were typical everyday American foods that a lot of us grew up with in the 70s and 80s that were marketed to us as like typical American foods, right? <clears throat> so like, like sugary what? cereals. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on. I, I, I already know what you're thinking. Uh, sugary cereals, sugary sodas, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, white bread, white pasta, um, you know, Hot Pockets, uh, SpaghettiOs, Top Ramen, Mac and Cheese, these types of foods that are like I said, it's super cheap and affordable, right? A lot of these ingredients are subsidized by the government. They're hyper palatable. So they're designed to be 
as addictive and tasty as possible to the human brain, right? They, these companies spend millions of dollars on food research <clears throat> to make sure this is true, right? To make sure that we're as addicted as possible. And they're super convenient, right? Like cooking chicken and broccoli takes time and uh, effort versus warming something, something up in the microwave or just pulling, pouring a bowl of cereal, the, the convenience aspect of it too factored into it. When you when you did this and you then transitioned back to eating healthy, do you did you feel like your um, taste buds changed at all? Oh yeah, it, it sucked. It was it, it was <laughs> it, it it was hell to be honest with you. My body had become so adapted to those types of hyper palatable foods. Transitioning to eating healthy food the first two weeks really opened up my eyes and helped me empathize with my clients just how much of a um, you know psychological struggle it was to go from eating these junk foods to then eating real whole foods because it's not just the taste buds that change the, the taste buds do adapt and change to where the healthy food then didn't taste as good obviously comparing cinnamon toast crunch for example which was my you know food of choice like almost every single day had it like twice a day <laughs> the, to then eating like broccoli and kale and spinach your taste buds adapt. So it wasn't just that it was the, the, the feeling of getting a high from those foods day in and day out for six months straight to then eating, you know, real whole food. You don't get a spike in dopamine um, or a spike in blood sugar levels, if you will, like you do when you're eating these, these highly uh, processed junk foods. So yeah, it was a, it, it was a very humbling experience and it helped me empathize with my clients to where now I have so much, compassion and better understanding of why people struggle with emotional eating. Whereas before I used to be very judgmental. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are listening to this, who can relate a lot because they maybe used to be an athlete when they were younger and then put on some weight and were frustrated when they looked at themselves in the mirror because they feel like they weren't the athlete that they used to be. Um, and they want to get back there. But I also know that some people's fear is like, they do lose weight, they get healthy, and their fear is to put it back on. Did you ever have the fear of, am I gonna be able to get this off? Yes, I did, um, because I've never been overweight. I've had to cut weight for wrestling and things like that, but I've never had to lose 75, 75 pounds of fat and completely change my lifestyle. And so this is, to all the you know former athletes out there, I wanna speak to this, because I mentioned it briefly, it's the identity issue. We create an identity around who we are, being an athlete, being at your, your peak, and you know maybe you're a professional athlete, right? <clears throat> that becomes your identity. And you become so wrapped up in that version of you that when that ceases to exist, you have a huge identity crisis. And this is what happened to me as well, where we kind of freak out, we don't know who we are. And then that's where people tend to self-sabotage or emotionally eat or escape those uncomfortable feelings by numbing out with certain substances and for some people's food for some people's drugs for some people's alcohol for some people's other things out there that just is a form of self-sabotage because we don't really know who we are in this new phase of life because we kind of have created this identity of who we thought we should be and now it's it doesn't our reality doesn't match our expectations <clears throat> and this is where i think doing the inner work uh, you know, it is so important when people transition from one career to another career or another phase of life, because a lot of people crash and burn and a lot of people stay stuck there to get out of that. You have to create a new identity, create a new sense of purpose. 
And, you know, your physical health <clears throat> is a part of that because it's hard to be the best version of you when your physical health isn't optimal, right? If you're struggling with health issues, it's hard to show up as a, a dad or an employee or a spouse um, when you <clears throat> are going through something like this. And, um, and so that's why I'm such a huge proponent. I'm glad that you have uh, this podcast and doing what you do, because I think it provides um, a lot of help for people that are struggling out there, former athletes that are trying to find that new version of them, that, that new sense of purpose and having physical health, good physical health, good mental health, emotional health, spiritual health is an important aspect of that journey to creating a new identity that gives you that sense of purpose. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the kind of some of the mental skills and stuff to help build a new identity in just a second. But I want to get back real quick to the take losing the weight. Uh, once you gain the 75 pounds and you decide you're going to lose the weight, what were like specific weekly habits or specific weekly metrics or the protocol that you were following for yourself in order to get it off? Yeah. So obviously with, with transformation, there's a physical aspect to it. There's diet, there's exercise, there's sleep, and there's stress management. Those are kind of the four pillars of physical health that I help a lot of people with. And, you know, no matter what journey you're on, if you're trying to improve your physical health, you're going to have to include, you know, all you're going to have to tackle all four of those, those pillars. Um, and so <clears throat> as far as nutrition goes, you know, I, I'm not a stickler on, on a certain type of diet for every single human. I think we're all so diverse and different, different diets work for different people. The diet aspect that I think gives you the most bang for your buck is a few things. One is whole foods, right? So I don't care if you're vegan. I don't care if you're paleo or keto. As long as you're eating whole foods, you're probably going to be healthier. You're probably going to be more satiated and you're probably going to have better health, better digestion, better sleep because you're eating mostly whole foods, right? And then from there, the second thing that, that, that is the most bang for your buck is high protein. So protein is the most important macronutrient, in my opinion, versus fats and carbs. Um, helps to rebuild and uh, repair lean muscle mass. And, um, you know, so eating uh, high quality uh, uh, protein, I think is going to be, um, it's going to keep, keep you feeling fuller longer. It's going to keep you satiated. Um, so hitting your, your protein goals for the day is probably, if you're going to track anything, track that first and foremost, it doesn't need to be super overcomplicated, but if you just started tracking your protein every single day and increasing your protein slightly, that right there, I think is a huge component of changing your body composition. <clears throat> um, the other thing, you know, exercise, exercise really isn't the most effective tool for fat loss, but I'll be totally honest with you as athletes, you know, we're exercising as athletes to to perform right on the field. Now that we're, you know, we've let go of that life. What do we want to train for? You can still train like an athlete if you want, but that comes with the cost, right? Training hours a day <laughs> puts a lot of stress on your body. I'm 42. And I want to be able to train into my eighties, nineties if I can. So I don't want to risk injury. So for me, it's about training smarter, not harder now. And I think, you know, any kind of resistance training, you know, is going to be super important to help either build lean muscle mass or retain and uh, lean muscle mass as you age, uh, because as your testosterone levels drop, it's going to be harder to put on lean muscle mass as you age. So I'm a huge fan of things like rucking, which is walking with a weighted backpack for building uh, lean muscle, but also increasing cardiovascular endurance, but doesn't put as much pressure on your joints as like 
running does. So I think that's something I do a lot of sled work, sled pushes, sled pulls, uh, walking backwards with the sled. You can work your upper body. You can work your lower body with the sled. Um, and it doesn't put as much pressure on your spine as like, you know, loading 500 pounds on your back. Sleep and stress management are two factors that people overlook and they don't really focus on. But if you're not sleeping well, your hormones are going to be out of whack. And if your hormones are out of whack, weight loss becomes inefficient and um, you're kind of burning the candles at both ends. So your hormones are affected. Your ability to manage stress is affected, which is going to affect you as, you know, um, as a parent, as a spouse, as an employee, as a business owner, whatever it is. So sleep and then stress management, being able to manage your emotions and detach from, you know, the, the feelings of stress and overwhelm. So you're not reactive, which is what causes people to self-sabotage and emotionally eat and go down these rabbit holes of like substance abuse um, because people get overwhelmed with, with stress of life. And so I'm a huge proponent of things like meditation and journaling, getting out in nature, uh, breath work, therapy, things like that, that can help manage stress levels. Because if your stress levels aren't managed, most likely you're going to, that's when you tend to binge eat. And like I said, self-sabotage and eat your emotions. Um, so those are the four pillars of physical health that I think are super important that I used uh, during my fat to fit journey that made a huge, huge impact. Yeah, I love it. And I think um, the stress management part often gets overlooked because it's harder to be objective with it. It's hard to put numbers to it and stuff like that. But as you said, if the stress management part is off, then probably the other three are going to be off as well. You're probably not going to be making great decisions when it comes to your exercise, your nutrition, and you're probably not going to be sleeping all that well as well. And so stress management 100% is an underlying thing that really affects all of those things to a great degree. So make sure you're not overlooking that and then and you figure out what stress management looks like for you you mentioned some amazing tools um already in there and so everybody's everybody's idea of stress management can look different uh last thing with the whole fit the fat to fit journey i know you did it again almost like a decade later what was different from the perspective of you being a decade older was it harder to lose the weight? Was it easier to gain the weight? I think that's what people would potentially think at being a decade older. Tell us about the difference physically being the second time around. Really good question. So the first time I did it was around 30, 31 years old, different metabolism, different hormones, you know, doing that second time I had turned 40 at the end of it. So yeah, it, it and this is the problem is a lot of men and women as they age, it, it can be harder to lose weight or to even, you know, maintain your, your fitness or your physique. And so I wanted to put that to the test and give some people some hope as far as the physical differences. Um, the weight, actually, if you compare like the, the rate at which I gained weight, I gained weight faster in the second journey, <laughs> which wow. is probably attributed to my, my age. As far as losing the weight goes, I use different strategies in the first round 1.0, it was more of like a, a paleo ish approach. This is back in 2011. So my knowledge of health and fitness was different versus in 2020 when I did it the second time. Um, so it's more of like a five, six small meals a day, every two or three hours eating. And that strategy can work. But as I've aged, you know, I, I, for me, uh, more of an intermittent fasting slash keto approach worked really well. Um, where I was able to put in less effort with, I think, just as good of results, uh, where I was eating two meals a day, not having to meal prep and take Tupperware containers with me when I travel. And, you know, fasting was a, a protocol that I used very effectively that I think 
for me worked really well. That's what I don't want to say it works for everyone, but I think it can be an effective tool. And that's what it's all about is, is finding what tools in your tool belt work effectively for you at this stage of life, because what works for you today might not work for you six months from now. And what works for you yesterday might not work for you today. And so that's why having a tool belt full of lots of tools can be very effective for people. And so, um, yeah, I was able to lose the weight, you know, with, I, I would say less effort. Um, and I think for me, you know, the intermittent fasting slash keto approach worked for me great as a 40, 40 year old at the time. Yeah. That's one of the, one. that's one of the things that I love about you. You're not some one of these guys who tries to do a one size fits all approach. So many people are saying like, this is the way, this is the only way that it'll work when it's like, no, there's actually so many different tools that you can use. And so there's not a right or a wrong way per se when it comes to how you're going to lose weight or get fit. There might be a lot of different options. And like you said, there might be a different approach at a different time of your life for a different reason. And so figure out what works for, for you and experiment and don't have a closed mind to potentially different ways of approaching your journey of getting fit. I want to kind of transition to the identity side of things. Because I think that this is really the root of what holds so many people back is if they have seen themselves as an unfit individual or at least not as a the fit, the really fit individual that they want to be, if they see themselves for too long as that unfit individual, then it's really hard for them to maintain a fit physique or a fit lifestyle because maybe they'll get there for a period of time, but then they'll find a way to work themselves back into their bad habits because they haven't actually adopted that new identity yet. So how can somebody who is on their fitness journey and making some progress really solidify and adopt a new identity of somebody who is a healthy and fit individual and doesn't work their way back into their bad habits? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked this question. You see a lot of this happen with like, for example, contestants from The Biggest Loser who they've done studies on showing that 95 plus percent of them gained the weight back. And this is a perfect example of like, you know, these people will power their way to changing their bodies, which is great. And it's amazing what they can do in like 16 weeks on a TV show. But then what happens when they go back to their environment back home and that environment shapes their identity back to who they were, Right. And so their belief system, their patterns, their programming kind of go back to default mode. And that's how a lot of people end up gaining the weight back is because it requires a huge identity shift. There's a really, really good book. I highly recommend for anyone out there looking to shift their identity or two books. One is called Atomic Habits. Really, really good book about creating these atomic habits, which then lead to identity change. Um, but it's it, it stems from like little things like how you talk to yourself, how you view yourself and like the, 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 the little vocabulary word changes that can happen. Like, instead of saying, uh, for example, you're trying to quit smoking. Like if you say to yourself, Oh no, I'm trying to quit. That is an identity right there that you're telling you or other people a story of like, you are a smoker that is trying to stop smoking versus no, I don't smoke. That is an identity shift right there in and of itself. As you as you speak about yourself, you you are creating this new identity that you are not someone who smokes. So if you're trying to become healthy, and what would a healthy person, you have to envision, what would a healthy person do? Well, if I want to create this new identity, what would a healthy person do? Would they, you know, uh, would they eat their emotions, right? Would they self-sabotage? Probably not. 
And so what characteristics would this healthy person have in place where maybe it's like, hey, I, I stock my cupboards and fridge full with food. Um, you know, I meal prep, I track my macros and my calories, I hire a coach, um, you know, I wake up and go to the gym every single day, I lay out my clothes uh, or sleep in my gym clothes the night before, uh, whatever it takes, these little tiny micro adjustments that add up over time. And that's why I love that book, Atomic Habits, because it, it gives people a roadmap of how to make these 1% changes that add up over time to this new identity shift. The other book is called Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. And I think this is a great strategy because so many people, especially men who might be former athletes, have the usually have the ability to willpower themselves out of something. Like when coach says, hey, you got to sprint and do this many sprints, you push yourself to, to do that, right? <laughs> you can willpower your body to do some freaking hard things. And now that you're not having a coach push you and um, you know, that willpower strategy doesn't really work unless you're a David Goggins and you're just able to like tap into this unlimited amount of willpower to like completely change your life. Most people that doesn't work. And so his strategy is about creating an environment, which kind of goes hand in hand with atomic habits of like, as humans, we're the ultimate adaptation machine and we adapt to environments. And uh, so if you want to change your identity, you have to change your environment. And as you change your environment, you adapt to that environment that creates a new identity shift where you do become this person that does take care of their health. So that is someone that meal preps their food and, does, and has their cupboards in the fridge and pantry stocked full of like the healthy food that they know they should eat. And maybe they hire an accountability coach or a trainer of some type to help keep them accountable. And they sleep in their gym clothes and, you know, it becomes this, it becomes a part of them. And that's kind of the identity shift that ultimately needs to happen. But I will say this, this inner work that I'm talking about, like the identity shift is 10 times harder or a hundred times harder than it is to do the most insane hard workout that you could possibly put yourself through, especially as former athletes, we can do some freaking hard physical things, but when it comes to the emotional self-love, self-awareness, identity shift stuff that we're talking about here, this is what's so hard for people because we've never really put ourselves through that. We can put ourselves through a really hard season of like pushing ourselves physically, but when it comes to the mental and emotional challenges that like, like we're talking about right here, this is what I see so many people struggle with because that's actual work for people. That's actual struggle versus like, all right, I'm going to run, you know, 50 miles. Uh, you know, that's something that might even be easier for some people than it is to like face their own inner demons. Mm. Yeah, there's there's no, no doubt about that. And it's just so much more complex and um, not an intangible than doing a really hard workout. So figuring out how to talk to yourself differently, put in some new habits in place, change your environment a little bit. Like there's so many different ways that over time, you got to do these things consistently. Like I talk all the time about the people that I'm coaching, like the way that you talk to yourself internally and the way that you talk to yourself about yourself to me, like it matters. And so I'm, I'm going to call you out when you say certain things because you're going to live into the identity that you speak about yourself. And so I think, I mean, that's definitely the root of it all. And I think it's like, when it comes to, I like that you mentioned the book, Willpower Doesn't Work. I actually haven't read it yet, but willpower only works for a short period of time, right? It works for a finite period of time. You have to get to the point where 
you maybe will power yourself sometimes to do the habits, but then if you can repeatedly do the habits over time, then you start to see yourself as a different individual because of all the evidence that you've built up in the past with those habits. Amen. Um, I'm, I'm there's a, again, as people who are go-getters and hold themselves to a high standard, people who listen to this podcast, they can often be super self-critical. And I'm sure that that is something that you experienced a decent amount on your journey and that you experience with your clients as well. So what are some different either like internal dialogue or mindset shifts that you've made and that you help people make to help be a little bit more empathetic of themselves? Really, really good question. And that's been my whole journey, to be honest with you, because I grew up with that mentality of like discipline, you know, uh, like it gets you to, to, you know, push yourself to do hard things. And that has to come from almost a place of self-hate. It's like playing football and wrestling from a very young age. You have to tap into this place to be able to like push yourself to do freaking hard things that almost feel like self-hate. Like if you don't do this thing, you're a failure and you better do this thing. Otherwise you're, you know, are we allowed to cuss on here or should we keep it PG-13? Go for it. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're pussy. Like, like that's, I'm sorry to be say that, but like, that's the way we speak to ourselves. And that's kind of maybe what we need to do to become like David Goggins. But here's where we are in life. Like right now I'm 42 years old. I'm a dad of two little, two girls that are 12 and 14. I'm not trying to become the baddest man on the planet. Like I really like, that's not my, that's not my calling, but in order to do myself, to do hard things in my life, my whole mindset has shifted because that mentality that serves me for a period of time eventually broke me. And I'll be totally honest with you and I'll make this short, but it broke me as a man and to the point where my marriage of 10 years fell apart. I left my religion, which were two huge factors of my identity at the time. This is about 10 years ago. And I hit my rock bottom moment. And at that moment I was like, okay, here I am. I just lost my marriage. I just lost my, left my religion. Who am I? And I went on this huge self-discovery journey. And the thing that helped me get to where I'm at today, I know it doesn't sound very masculine, but it's self-love. And now I use self-love as the motivating factor to do hard things because I've learned that self-love is about doing hard things, but doing, but doing hard things from a place of self-hate serves me in the past, but now that's not how I operate anymore. Because if I'm doing things out of self-hate, if I don't achieve that hard thing, that, that if I don't achieve the outcome that I'm seeking, that leads to more shame and more, you know, self-hate, which creates a vicious cycle, which then causes me to self-sabotage and feel less about myself, which affects my ability to show up as a, as a single dad, which affects my relationship with my daughters, which means I just pass on that unresolved trauma onto them. There's a really good quote that I, I love. It, it says, if you don't heal what hurts you, you're going to bleed on those who didn't cut you. And so now I'm about doing the inner work so that you know, I break that cycle of generational trauma so that my daughters don't have to take on those, um, you know, subconscious self-hate uh, mechanisms that serve me for a period of time. Uh, because now I've learned that I am worthy of good physical health, um, emotional health, spiritual health, financial health. But I'm doing these hard things from a place of self-love because I realize that I'm worth it to have good physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial health. 
And I think that's the, the, the switch that needs to be flipped for a lot of men out there that struggle is the, the, the old way of doing things like, yes, that's great. Where it serves you in college or you were playing, you know, at some elite level, but now if you could learn how to switch it to a form of self-love, that self-love can be just as motivating, but so much more fulfilling and rewarding to you as, as a provider, um, as a leader, um, and that's where everything shifts, where instead of seeing these things as a punishment, like I got to do this hard thing as a pun, I got to punish myself because I deserve punishment and I'm not worthy of happiness. Now you're doing these hard things because you are worthy of happiness and you are worthy of fulfillment. And that's, that is self-love. Like that self-love motivates me to go freaking ruck for two or three hours or to push myself hard in the gym or to, to do the inner work, like going to therapy and doing breath work and meditation and journaling like those those things really helped me become the best version of myself versus this this vicious cycle of shame and self-hate which like i said that was that's all i ever knew i didn't know that this side even existed or could exist for someone like me so that's kind yeah. of my journey of what's helped me i think that can work for a lot of people they just have to give it a chance they have to make that leap of faith and like um teddy roosevelt says talks about the man in the arena right we've all we've all heard that quote the man in the arena. And that's what this is about. It's not about the critics who are going to point fingers at you and shame you like, Oh, look at this guy. He's talking about feelings and emotions and self-love and vulnerability. Like who cares what people say? Like you're the man in the arena. You're the one putting in the work. And if you want to be the best version of you doing it from a place of self-love versus self-hate, it's worth the, you know, people ridiculing or maybe making fun of you because their insecurities are manifesting on you. Yeah, for sure. I really think that's like the only sustainable way to really do it in a healthy manner, right? Like somebody might be able to go their entire life beating who works out because I am just kind of like beating myself and I need to, I need to do hard things, but then they're not actually living a truly happy and fulfilled life as much as they could. And like you said, I kind of the way that I think about it is I think about the future version of myself and how much like you said, like happier and more fulfilled and more energetic and more confident than I'm going to be because I'm doing the tough thing. I think that's, like you said, really the way to approach it sustainably and healthily is from a place of self-love rather than self-hate and just and just killing yourself to, to kill yourself and beat yourself up. That's great. Um, well, before I ask the last question here, Drew, I just want to acknowledge you for both like having the courage and the boldness to take on the crazy ass journey that you decided to take on for yourself over a decade ago but then also to get to the point where you completely shift the way that you see yourself and you completely shift the way that you see why you do what you do and I think that's such a massive turning point both for you and how you serve the people that you serve so it's super commendable and I, I want to make sure I acknowledge you for that of course, of course. Well, you guys need to make sure you go follow Drew on Instagram if you don't follow him already. It's fit, the number two, fat, the number two, fit. So fit to fat to fit. You can follow him on Instagram. You can go to his website, fit to fat to fit.com as well. Uh, but are there, are there any other good places where people should go connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? No, I just Google fit to fat to fit or fit to fat to fit.com with the number two, like you said, and you'll be able to find all the things about me. So thank you. Great, great, awesome. Well, last question here, Drew, is a hypothetical question. If you could only choose three healthy habits to do for the rest of your life, for whatever reason, somebody says you can't do all these different things, 
You have to pick the three healthy habits, and they can be because the rest of your life you want to look a certain way, you want to feel a certain way, you enjoy these healthy habits the most. What are three healthy habits that you would choose to do for the rest of your life? Really good question. I would say sleep. (laughs) I would make sure sleep is up there. Um, Some form of physical exercise or movement, um, definitely, because as I've gotten older, I've realized that physical exercise isn't necessarily for the looks. It's more so for my mental health now that I'm older and I'm starting to realize that. And and so moving my body is really important. The last one is a tough one. I would probably say some form of meditation slash breath work to help out with my mindset. Those two things are very powerful tools for me. And they're kind of, they're they're different, but they're kind of one in the same. And it's about being, learning how to be present and connecting to yourself. Um, Because life is about being present. The past is in the past. The future, you have no idea what, what it holds. And so all we really have is the present moment. Those two things, breath work and meditation, kind of bring me back to the present moment. So those would probably be the three healthy habits, sleep, movement, and, you know, breath work slash meditation. Awesome. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That was perfect. That was perfect. Exactly what I wanted to hear. Well, you guys got a lot of value today. You learned definitely about what not to do when it comes to eating foods. You learn about how there's a lot of different approaches to actually navigate your health and fitness journey. It's not just a one size fits all approach. You really learned the importance of transforming your identity when it comes to health and fitness. You learn some strategies on how to do that. You learn some books to to look up and read in order to help you along your journey and then uh, finished off with some great some great habits to make sure that you're sticking to and, and make sure that you're doing stress management as well as he mentioned earlier in the episode. But Drew, that's all we got, man. I really appreciate your time. I know everybody really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. I loved that interview with Drew, and I really love how he focused on the mental and emotional side of health and fitness transformation. If you'd like to go try out the virtual 10-week transformation, one-week free trial, then go to nickcarrier.com slash free trial. Some of my biggest takeaways today from Drew were the following. There are many routes to success with health and fitness. There's not one right way. There's not a one-size-fits-all. You can come at it from a lot of different angles. The mental and emotional side of transformation is arguably the harder part but it's also what leads to lasting change. Change your internal narrative and your environment and change your identity. And lastly, do hard things from a place of self-love rather than self-hate. If you can do these things, it will help you make the transformation that you wanna make and ultimately get closer and closer to your best you.